Hello and welcome to Risking Failure, the podcast. We have honest conversations about growth. Today, we're going out on a limb and going to talk about something we shouldn't. Well, people don't usually talk about. I'm Mark Dobson, and this all came about people when my good friend Mick Dunn, who's about to join us, said to me, Mark, let's Skype once a week and have an honest conversation about growth and let the public hear. And if they want to listen and learn and share the journey of growth with us, they can. And if they don't want to listen, then then it'll just be a conversation we recorded for our kids. Mick Dunn, my good friend, how are you? Good, mate. I don't know if we've gone through that already. I don't think you really announced how you're doing, but you've got a cold. You sound a tiny bit nasally, but you sound like on the back end of one, are you? Yeah, I'm on the back end of one. Is it obvious that I'm nasally? I'm trying to fake it. I thought I might be able to get by, but I'm a little bit sick. <laughs> I think you're doing all right. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I've been on my deathbed until this recording. People call me up and, how are you doing? You know, we answer the phone, you haven't spoken for a while, and you think you can fake it. <laughs> how are you doing? You're like, oh, this is Mark Dobson. <laughs> like, are you sick? I'm like, have, yeah, have you just got up? No. Nah. I'm still in bed. (laughs) So, it's been a rough week, but I'm doing all right now. And last week, we had the conversation, Mick, of um, things you can't talk about. And one of the things we didn't mention, but we're going to talk about today, is death. Like, you don't- I think we did mention- Did we? Didn't we? I think- Yeah, yeah, we did, but we didn't talk about it. (laughs) No, we didn't expand on it because it is one- We probably did because it is one of those things where as soon as you- you say, yeah, I've been, oh, I did, I mentioned because I talked about my dad, I think, but I think it's one of those things where you go, yeah, I've been thinking about dying lately and people don't respond great to that. <laughs> and we're not talking about the suicide discussion. We're talking about just, just death. Like we all die, but we're not allowed to talk about it. And, and so, yes, we are. People would argue that, yeah, I go, all right, we'll go and bring it up in conversation over coffee next weekend. Like- it's not a sustained conversation. You can talk about your problems and you can talk about what house you're saving up for and how things are going to work. But as soon as you start to discuss death and that you're exploring the idea of it and what happens and- Exploring the idea of it. You know, well, what happens? You know, what happens next? And I wonder where we go and and I'm wondering if, I, if there's any way I can get ready for it. People are just like, what? Like, yeah. it's not- I'm going on a four-day course on it. It's not Okay. <laughs> And even then, there'll be people listening right now going, yeah, but why do you need to? And I would say the reason you need to is it's the only thing that we know will happen in our life. Oh, it's the only thing we actually all have in common. Yeah. Right? That, <laughs> yeah, that's that the only thing birth. no one talks about. <laughs> that and birth, you know. Well, that's a good point. Yeah, we've got those two. But Yeah, but it's definitely the thing that's coming for all of us, and we never know when it's coming. And- you know, like I know I've referred to some of the Buddhist teachings on the podcast this year and it's not so much a um, an agenda of mine, it's just that what I've been reading lately, so that's what I tend to refer to. But they do really suggest that when you're really aware that things do change, that nothing is permanent, that, that you could die or the people that you're talking with or hanging out and spending time with could die at any time, that there's actually a joy in that, not a morbidness in that. It's like when a sunset's going down, it's like you pause and you enjoy it. But there's sometimes a sunset is going down and we're not really giving it our attention. We might have even said last week, you know, you don't look at a rose and go, oh, it's beautiful now, but it'll be dead soon. But we enjoy it because it will die soon. So, it's, it's one off. So That's a very nice way of saying it, actually. I mean, interesting observation because we don't talk about a rose that way and yet we do manage to celebrate its life. 
But when I think about this topic, I'm thinking of it mostly in relation to a, maybe a phase of life or just sort of more actually what the, the common trends of today where medicine is getting so much better and we're living longer and having to deal with a, a longer, slower death where there's plenty of time to think about it. And so when you use the analogy of the rose, it's sort of like there's there's a little bit of an issue in the society as well of throwing out the rose when you think you're done with it. And at what point, you know, are we the value? I don't like to use the word the value of life, but we're not maybe as connected to that final stage as maybe what we should be. And no one talks about it. They just sort of turn a blind eye to it. And there's something pretty magnificent that's happening at that moment that is still part of the cycle, but it's easier for us to just turn a blind eye and move on to the next bunch of flowers, so to speak, rather than to go to the compost heap and watch the end of the process. But Yeah, we definitely don't see each stage as being equally as magnificent. And I went and spent some time with a mentor this week that I'd heard was a pretty knowledgeable lady in, in some certain areas. So, you know, I organized to spend some time with her. And part of the reason I was spending time with her is because in her area of expertise, not only she's very, very sound, she's also much older than me. By most people's standards would be retired, but she's not. And I was aware that I wanted to hang out with her because she was old. Like I thought there was value in that. There's a wisdom there. Now, I don't, I don't think that necessarily just because someone's old they are wise. I don't think those two are linked. But this is where we do listen to our environment and we do see images of beautiful things. Like as soon as our car looks a bit tired, we notice images of a beautiful car. And as soon as we are, you know, we keep getting seeing photos of um, beautiful people in their prime. And as a result, you know, you notice your, your wrinkles or your or that you're not that strong yet when you're a kid or you're not that, you know, developed yet. And and I have heard that quote before that I, I heard through Brene Brown. She, she said of one of her friends, but it's probably got a, a pure source, but the language um, comparison is the thief of happiness. By comparing ourselves to a an idea or an image or, a, or just the same idea over and over and over again, we're very aware of all the things that, uh, that are different from that. You know, you see movies sometimes where, you know, where it's the other way around, that the kids run the planet and because the kids run the planet, you, it's exaggerated how the old people aren't really valued. Or there's other times when, you know, you're little and because you're little, you're not valued. It's whichever, you know, we live in a community which has a loud voice if this is how it's done. As a result, we, we see all the other things that are not that as being less valuable. But I think that with death, it is an aging and the rose going to the compost bin. It's equally as beautiful, really. But that's that's really challenging. So we should go, we should discuss this because that will really challenge some people because, you know, there's many people that fear death and they also uh, fear losing the people around them. And I don't get me wrong, I, I don't look forward to any of those sort of experiences. But so I thought maybe to get this going, I've got a couple of examples about death that maybe we should discuss. So there's three main things that I noticed in my life. When I was very young, I, I saw one of my best friends killed when I was in grade five. And it was at a, at a carnival and without going into the details, just out of respect for the people involved, but he was killed. And, you know, I had to process that at a very young age. And what fascinated me was I remember mum saying to me, you know, it's best, it's best that he goes because the injuries were so bad. It's just best that he goes. And I just believed her. But there are other people that were 
really had some quite extreme responses and they gave it a different meaning. You know, there were some people that gave it the meaning, well, you know, if you lost your friend when you were young, you know, you'd be messed up like me too. Sort of thing. It was like a permission slip for, I don't know, some craziness. That was big. And although I lost family members too, through, you know, aunties and uncles and grandparents that through the years, that one was my first experience. And then I had another experience when I was not even 10 years, oh, it might be 10 years ago, where I was, I'd gone down to pick up the mail from where it used to be and I was driving home and I, I just picked up out the corner of my eye some sort of incident in the construction area and I instinctively just pulled over because it just didn't seem good and I, I ran across and sure enough, a woman had been backed over by a truck that nobody really knew what to do. So, I was the first on the scene as a first aid responder. I, I ran to her, I rolled her over and just some people won't want to hear the details so I'll, I'll save those for another day but, you know, she was in a bad way and I recognised essentially that she was dead although as part of her body, it was, it was moving a little just due to the nature of the process of the dying process, which we're always scared to talk about, right? The, the mechanics of the body was moving, but she was gone. Everybody around me was a bit of a panic, but I, I've got some strong spiritual beliefs about this, not religious, but spiritual. And I just said to her, not out loud, I said it in my head, I guess. I said, hey, it's, it's okay. It just, it must be time for you to leave. And, you know, whatever family you've got here, it must be part of their journey to, to have you leave now too. So, you don't feel like you've got to stay, just just off you go. It'll be okay. It'll be okay and they'll be okay. And I'm sure there's enough love around them that they'll be okay. Yeah, and I felt all right about it and I was just sitting with her and then several minutes later, maybe five or ten minutes later, a nurse turned up and some medical people and they ran over and it was a lot of drama and like, clear out the way and dived in to try to rescue her. And I honestly didn't know what all the fuss was about. I was like, well, she's gone and it's okay. So, that was pretty significant. You know, I realized each, each one of these could probably go to the conversation. But the third one was um, when an elder died and they had several family members remaining behind. And one of those children was very was Pentecostal in their belief and very much believed that unless you went to church every Sunday, you you burnt in hell. And that's exactly how they saw it. You, you burnt. And when their father passed away everybody was grieving but this particular person was grieving in a horrific way because they now believed that their their father had, had gone to hell and was burning and was going to burn there forever their beliefs served them up until that moment and you know we had this, we had some pretty big conversations and I was involved with having them think through what their beliefs were about religion and faith and death because they were in an agony. They were the one in hell. So, I put those on the table just so that we've got some discussion stuff, I guess, because they're all pretty big and they can be pretty heavy, but I didn't find any of them heavy, really, in experience. Yeah, they're unique. And it was funny after that woman passed away and I was first on the scene, my friend Dave is an ambulance driver. He said, hang on, so, so that's the first time you'd see someone die? And I was like, well, yeah. And he said, and you're just sitting there going, off you go, spirit, off you go. <laughs> He goes, I know ambulance drivers that would have that experience and struggle to cope. And I'm like, well, yeah, but well, they probably think that they need to save them and rescue them and feel responsible for it. But I, I didn't feel those things. So, And I said to him, it just really comes down to how you see things. Well, if you step back a bit. Not too far away because I've got to stay close to this mic. I heard the sound quality last time. And it was terrible. <laughs> We've got to make sure I'm within range. But I, I, metaphorically, I will step back. Continue. 
Ah, oh, the things I have to put up with. So I, um, <laughs> I've had a similar experience where I uh, was out surfing with buddies and we came upon a couple of people that actually I don't know where they were from. I think they were from the Middle East, but it was their first time out in the, the Australian surf and they were out to kind of actually celebrate having moved to Australia. And, um, she was drowning and he ran in to save her and didn't know how to swim. And we only found that out because the papers said that and he was on the front page the next day. But basically we uh, just swimming around and, you know, we're just surfing and just saw floating something and swam over. And I was actually sort of the first one to get to them and saw exactly what was going on. I had to call my mate to swim over and so I'd pull his sister in and my buddy pulled the guy in which was pretty deeply submerged by that point but um the brother didn't survive and the the girl did and she was pretty sort of out of it in terms of trying to recover but it was one of those situations where it was very clear at the time where there was hope and where there wasn't look i sort of think that has a bit of an impact in the way that people respond to what's going on. Like we had a chance we could have kept this person alive. Right. Yeah. And I don't feel like it was a- I want to hear that, but just to go back. So you and your friend have dragged two bodies in from the ocean Mm -hmm. and one of them survived and one of them didn't. Right. Which person did you bring in? Did you bring in the survivor or the person who passed away? The survivor. Okay. And she started- coughing and spluttering as I was to sort of bring her onto the sand, basically. When you bring her in, was she unconscious when you were bringing her in? Yeah. And then right. as best I could tell, she was just very like groggy or just almost like a somebody that's asleep. But it wasn't clear to me when I was pulling her in swimming whether or not she was unconscious. It just felt that way. But then, you know, she just sort of came to it. It was like it was evident by the time we got to the sand that she didn't need to be resuscitated. But it was quite evident that her brother didn't either there was not even the you know he just looked like he'd peacefully moved away you know what i mean yeah you can you can feel it like well at least in my experiences like there's a sense of it there maybe maybe for us it was just like it was it happened before we got there do you know what i mean so there was never a time when we were we felt like we were responsible for trying to, you know, be in that, that make or break decision point. And I just sort of raised that because you're talking about a couple of different circumstances and whether it's a long drawn out 20 year process or a two minute process, I think probably the reactions can sometimes be the same in terms of whether or not there's hope or not it probably has a big difference. Yeah, Maybe. Like, I wonder if there's fundamentally some ways that we view this that makes it easier or harder. I think the shock is always challenging. You don't see it. It's it's like when, uh, you know, someone's dropped their mobile phone in the toilet or something and they can't use their phone for a while. They, they've got to get their head around that. And it's like when you've injured yourself and, you know, I've got a little pinky that I injured the other day playing basketball and it's taken ages to heal. Oh, are you, are you okay? You, everything's all right? Yeah, I'm all right. I'm all right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we'll talk about it off here. I don't want to share too much. But uh, I can't believe the number of times that pinky gets used for certain things. And it's, ah, and I, I'm not 100% able to do some things. As, as silly as it is, this little finger, you've got this 
you've got to process it. And it's like when you go in your house and you've changed all the furniture and it's you've got to process it. Now, to lose somebody is a huge amount of processing, especially a young child or, or similar where you, you really had in, invested and seen a future in that. And I haven't experienced that and I don't pretend to know. I think the shock is one of the biggest bits, like to, to get your head around this person's no longer available. But when you talk about the hope and something in our DNA is driven to keep life alive, to to stay alive, to to fight for life, it's it's, and I think that you know we're grappling with that at some level, like we're t- to go, well, all right, well, I want to be alive, and I want the people around me to be alive. But then again, I think that there is deep in us this lack of acceptance. That things aren't permanent, that things will move on, that they are going to change. And how quickly can we accept that? And I think the closer it is to it, we can say to everyone else, like, oh, well, you're going to have to let go of that. It's like when in a, in a relationship, in a, when you lose money due to some poor decision, when the team that you follow in, in a sporting environment doesn't win, when a job that you're going for doesn't come your way. And we can say to people, you know, we just got to let go of it. It's probably for the best. You got to let go. Don't worry about it. There's other opportunities. But it's, it's much easier to say when it's not close. It's not inside our circle. But when it's, when it's us, it's much more difficult. And what I was reading lately was the awareness that someone who is dying is the one that's losing everything. And they are in a state where they are confronted where I'm losing my family. I'm losing the things that I thought are important. I'm losing my ability. I'm losing my engagement with this planet, that they are actually the ones that are losing far more than anyone else. And we really need to be prepared to discuss that with them and just not force it, but just so how do you, how do you feel about death where you're at? Because too often we're just even scared to have this conversation because our fear of losing something. You're hitting on something interesting that kind of comes back to that, this modern medical time we're in of a longer life and you know, we're still getting to these ages of having to deal with slowing down and that that, that extends over a very a longer period of time. And I've heard some discussions of recent about like basically the problem or the concept of dying well and, and that sometimes there's people at end of life that are actually ready to move through that process, but they find it very difficult to and, and this is coming from the aged care community, but you know, that I've heard this from, from some interviews and discussions about different people in that area and that it's difficult for them to move through that because their family doesn't want to do it. They don't want to talk about it, so to speak. Sometimes I guess there's a tendency for, for maybe for us to sort of continually tell ourselves, now it'll be okay, or they always bounce back. Um, do you also think that what happens at that point is that this is a big topic that we can no longer avoid and we have no prior conditioning to be able to handle this. It's like being asked to lift a hundred kilo weight and you've never lifted a one kilo one. So all your life, we've, we haven't developed the fitness and the capacity and the emotional awareness to be able to navigate these sort of topics. And then suddenly they're just lumped on us and to cope, we just keep turning a blind eye, even though that can really hurt the people around us. Yeah. And this interview that I, I think I shared it with you and I, it was on once again that the podcast on being, this goes back a few years actually. So if, if you're listening to this and you're going to try to track this down, it's definitely worth listening to, but it's a few years ago and maybe I can just post it on the show notes. But this uh, gentleman was a somebody from Dartmouth at a hospital and he was talking about 
four questions that help deal with that problem, like where where people are they're ready to say something and they need to say something at that end stage, and he was sort of saying, but they just sort of don't know what to. And first of all, he likened it to the importance of moving through those things we've been holding on to for a long time or saying the things we want to say, but we sometimes don't in day to day. So he's saying, you know, whenever you narrowly miss a collision with a bus and you're on the side of the road, pick up your phone and make the call and say the things that you need to say. But the four things that he said that he often uses in, in counseling to help people who are stuck are, I'm sorry, I forgive you, thank you, and I love you. He said, usually it always comes down to one of those four things. And if you just start with one of those four things, he said, very often can become the beginning of the process. And you're saying that if, if you were passing away, Mick, that I would say those things to you. One or the other, I guess if there was something we were trying to deal with, I, I, I think what he was sort of saying was maybe referring to when you've got troubled relationships within a life and, you know, you haven't dealt with them yet, even the smallest of things that he was sort of saying, this is the time to try to move through those things and the importance of that. They're big conversations. I think so many people just have never really had those in their life ever. They're, they're hard anyway. I agree. That's actually what I pulled from this episode. I was like, wow. <laughs> Either way, those four questions are big. Yeah, they are. Say them again. So it's, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. I forgive you. Thank you. I love you. There's some wisdom there, isn't there? You almost think that most things could get navigated by one of those three solutions, four solutions. I can't even count, right? Four solutions. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that's pretty much, I wouldn't say that's what he's proposing. He didn't, if you're struggling on where to start with resolving things that you need to resolve before death, for example, this is a great place to start. So when, when you're involved with those people passing away, Mick, and rescuing them, and I remember that, I remember being on the front page of the paper and talking to you about it and the like, how did you go, process getting your head around all that sort of stuff? Pretty good. Uh, and I I think I was about 19, 18 maybe. I actually felt like I should have been more affected than I was, to be honest. I felt like I just sort of understood it in a weird kind of way. And I felt like my friends did too, just sort of like both. We, we processed a little bit, but, you know, we chatted about it, but it's not like we sat down all night around the campfire and just like bathed in reflection we just just sort of what happened and we just moved on I guess didn't really talk about it a whole lot after that either but it wasn't because we weren't comfortable talking about it I just think sort of we understood you had an interesting situation on the way home after I saw that lady killed I gave my details and all that sort of stuff and then I, I took off and I called my dad and as I was explaining my dad I said oh this just happened he said Mark do you want to come over for a cup of tea or something? Like, you know, if you haven't got anything on, maybe you should just come and chew the fat a bit. I was like, oh, all right, I suppose. And I hadn't really realized that there was still a part of me in shock. And I got home and I, it was really healthy to sit with my family and just talk about it and what had happened and what I saw. So although I had processed it, there was something to still think through. 
you know, I wasn't all high and mighty and, oh, look how wise I am. Like, it, that, the experience was different. And you would have had the same thing. There's, there's a processing to do. But what was interesting is I, I took a phone call from a client. Back then, it was a, it was a school client. And they'd been trying to get onto me for a little while. And I haven't, hadn't managed to get onto them. And they called during this shock period. And I thought, oh, geez, I've got to talk to this person. I haven't spoke, you know, I keep stuffing it up. So, I spoke to them. And I took a brief for a, a function. And when I took the brief, I, I didn't hear it accurately. And two weeks later, I went and delivered a product and I completely missed the point. And that's very unlike me. You know, I was not in a position to say to them, oh, sorry, when when that happened, I just seen somebody killed and stuff. That wasn't really appropriate. But I, I was very aware that I'd received feedback that I hadn't, that I wasn't as sharp, you know, like the little finger. It's like when you're injured, you're in shock. There's something that you just got to process and I wasn't as sharp. But also interesting was that, Oh, about a month later, Daniel, one of my best mates here, and I was who I was living with at the time. His mum called, and I answered the phone, and and he said, "Oh, Mark, how are you?" And he was she was calling for Daniel, but she said, "Um, now, Mark, how are you?" And I was like, "Um, I'm good." She goes, "You know, Mark, since the incident." And I honestly can tell you, I was thinking, "What incident? What has happened? What is she talking?" About? And I'm like, "Um, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't." She goes, no, it's okay. No, there's a lot to process. And and I had no idea what she's talking about. And I was like, oh, that. You know, I'd really moved on. And maybe at some, you know, deep spiritual, emotional, metaphysical level, I hadn't moved on or still connected. I don't know. But really, I, I couldn't consciously recall what I'd really think. But it was interesting because that's how she thought that I would process it. I think you're probably right about that. You're a little pinky analogy, so to speak. Being close to the situation is a yeah. makes a big difference. You know, somebody else like well, like when I said I got a sore sore little finger, you like you took the piss. You're like, oh, you're right there, you're okay. You know, you took the piss. Whatever you said earlier is like because it's not your world. But when it's your own world, you can have a little broken nail or something, and it can really limit your day. You keep catching it on things like, damn it, you know, like it. With a lot of this, we're talking about is how much does it impact our world and. That sounds a little bit selfish, but that's where I have a lot of respect and admiration for people that see pain on it in someone else's life and can connect to it and feel with it and empathize with it. And I think I empathize too, but as we're processing death, it does really impact us, but I'm concerned that we don't discuss it when it really impacts us. We, we try to pretend that it doesn't and, and think that that's going to be a strategy. I know what Brad always says about business. He says, hope is not a growth strategy. And I really believe that with death, not talking about it is not going to make it easier. It makes it way harder. Yeah, well, that comes to the same idea of growth not being a growth strategy either. What I was about to say was that, interestingly, it seemed like you had said it was the point where you sat down with your family that in some ways that's when it becomes real for you because it's brought into context of your own life. You know what I mean? And probably for me, I can't remember because it was so many years ago, I'm pretty sure I called my family partly just to tell them, like, cause it just seemed like the responsible thing to do because I was away on vacation, by the way. But yeah, I do remember coming home and definitely chatting to mom about it. I just think that those are the things that, that you could literally carry something like that around for even a couple of weeks before you even run into somebody you know or are deeply connected with. And I think that's the point where things become much more real. I think it comes down to, if we're carrying around for a long time or a short time, it comes down to the way we see the situation and the meaning we give it. And the one that would be more difficult is if we'd be the one person that had accidentally caused death. 
you know, you don't wish that upon anyone. But oh, I know, I know people in my circle that have accidentally caused another person death. That's another classic example. Of what meaning are we going to give this? The meaning I give life is now. I never used to think, oh, this. This took me a long time to get to this point. A long time, like, well, yeah, a long time, I'd say. But I had to let go of a lot of religious ideas that I had and and doctrine that I've been taught. But and I may have said this last episode, but I believe that the soul has the human experience like a video game. It just says, I'm going to go in. I want the sword, the shield, and the magic dust. And life says, nah. You can have two things. You go, all right, I have the sword and the shield. And then you go play the game and you discover yourself and you try to make it through different levels and grow and evolve. And I believe the soul comes onto this planet to experience aspects of itself. And every time it comes into the planet, it has a, it's a different experience. Now, that, that involves having some belief in reincarnation, some form of reincarnation, which is very challenging because I grew up in a Catholic environment and that was not part of the game plan. But I do believe that now. And I think that some of these experiences of death would really challenge your beliefs and go, what do you really believe? What do you just say to yourself? But I really believe that when a soul leaves the planet, that has a much greater, grander purpose because there was something they were meant to get out of it and they're moving on and they're, they're going to play the game again. And I also believe that the person that may have accidentally created that, their soul was here to know what it was like to have this experience. And, and sometimes there was a grand purpose in, in in that person moving on and us being the person that did it, if we can separate from the human and move to a spiritual view. Now, that doesn't mean that it's easy because I, I don't know what that would be like. I, I, I don't. But I know that perhaps some of my calm and my peace on these sort of topics is because I've really spent time developing my spiritual view. And I wonder when you said about, you know, some people hold on to it and some people don't. And the fact that I could say goodbye to that, that lady at that time, I think they're all relative to the way we explain life and the meaning we give things. I think there's merit in really ponder. We do ponder it. Look at us. We're sitting here talking about these big topics. But, you know, I, I look at, you know, my, my friend that lost his, his dad and believed that he's burning in hell. Like, that didn't make his, his life any easier at all. That, that just created misery. Yeah, like I really think it's the meaning we give things, but I don't think that we're brave enough typically as a community to let go of beliefs we've had for a long time and say, well, maybe religion's not right. Maybe my view of the planet's not right. Maybe my view of God's not right. And go, I'm going to start from scratch and build up. And I know I did that. I I traveled around Europe and I, as I was traveling around Europe as a kid with a backpack, I I was trying to work out if there really was a God. I've been brought up Catholic, but I was trying, is there actually a God? And I don't know why that question was on my mind, but it really was. And I had a few situations that really impacted me, but I was sitting in this church in East Berlin, and it was this Gothic sort of style building with this huge pipe organ. And I might have mentioned this. I said this the other day. I'm wondering, because we talked about a similar topic, but it was just a big, really impacted me. But I was sitting there and I thought, I said to in this church, I said, you know what, God, I'm going to make a call. I'm going to say you don't exist. And now I was scared. That, that scared me because if God did exist, then you know, everything I've been taught about was, you know, I was rejecting God and and the like. And so that was a big thing for me to say. And I said, but I'm going to say you don't exist. But if you do, I'm going to need some kind of hint to continue this journey, just some kind of hint. 
And then out of the blue, this huge pipe organ, it's like someone fell on it or something, right? It didn't play a chin. It It was like, and I just pissed myself laughing. I'm going, all right, all right, that'll do, that'll do. I will continue the journey. And I swear that happened and it felt profound. I walked away from that church just laughing going, all right, I will continue. But I was throwing out the rules of religion and I was starting to look at what is this relationship you have with God? But that took a lot of courage and it took a lot of um, hold in the uncertainty. And because we're obsessed with permanence, we're obsessed that people don't, I don't think people realize how big that is. We're obsessed with that we can keep things the same at some level. We can get it, we can get it right. And because we're obsessed with that, as a result, we, we're uncomfortable holding the uncertain, the thing that we don't know the answer to because we want to get it all locked away so we just know. And I think that if you really want to get our heads around death, we have to be prepared to be to relook at everything we think and the meaning we give things and go, does this stack up? Is this creating joy or love or fear or does it feel good? Why would you want to just believe something that didn't feel good? Neil Donald Walsh, well, he's the author of that book, Conversation with God. Goodness me, it's been a long time since I've read that, but... Um, <laughs> I was reading it the other night and I was so pissed off with God, I threw it across the room. <laughs> in all honesty, that, I haven't done that for a long time since I was a kid, but I was like, trying, I was like, you know what, Paul, this is crap. I launched that book. I said, I've had enough. I love that book. I've read it nine times, but I went to it and I was like, you know what? I'm just not going to try. I'm not even trying to understand you right now, God. I'm pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even going to listen. I'm sick of listening. Just make this easier. So, but anyway, is that, is that, when you read it, is that how it went? <laughs> well, not quite, but I haven't read it nine times. So, I have read it a couple of times and it's a pretty profound book. So, look, I'm not saying it's right or wrong or it's everything. It's just I don't think I've come across a text that's had so many profound questions in there. It's the questions that are just interesting. So, anyway, he's written some follow-up books. I've heard, I guess, a series of questions that he had talked about being helpful in this whole idea of what you're talking about in relation to, you know, purpose and soul and God and how that all fits together. And so the questions were the first being, do you believe in God? Yes or no. And then the second was, do you believe in the existence of the human soul? And then the third question would be, what do you think is the relationship based on your own experience what is the relationship between God and the human soul? And the fourth question, can anything happen to God, assuming that you believe in that, that God does not want to have happen? And then the fifth question being, can anything happen to your soul that your soul does not want to have happen? Remembering that the answer to those first few questions I think, say a lot about how you shape your universe in relation to soul and God and all these different things. Because as I followed through those questions, you know, I'd think about things like, and I think it's pretty common for a lot of people to think these things that, well, yes, I know to God, right? But I, I think sometimes there's a lot of people in the world that answer no to the question of God, but yes to the question of soul. And then the very next question is a challenging one. Well, What's the difference? So you need to be able to resolve that 
you don't have to, but it's helpful if you do, because then suddenly you realize, well, oh my God, maybe I do believe in a God, because if I believe in the human soul, but I don't believe in God, then now I have to scientifically answer to myself where the hell a human soul comes from. So, you know, then these, these progressions. These are amazing questions. And on the weekend we ran it with Cam actually ran a workshop and one of the ladies said she doesn't accept the idea of a soul, but she used different language. And that also came up with a concept with God. They were like, well, people didn't believe in God, but they could accept a universal intelligence or something similar. And what really happened is that God had basically been a term that had been used by religion and a personality had been put onto God. And people weren't comfortable with that personality, that idea that that was separate, that it could decide your fate as if it had a personality and it was punishing you, but also rewarding you and couldn't accept that. So, so it's interesting when people go, I can't, they can't accept God, but then the soul thing, usually they can accept one of those two. But those five questions are pretty profound, Mick. But I don't remember them being conversations with God. That must be one of his later works. Is that what you said? Yeah. I don't even think it was in his book. I just heard it in an interview that he said, because somebody had asked him the question, of, do you have some ideas or thoughts or questions that help people get at this idea that you're talking about to, to introduce them to what it is that you're even saying? He said, yeah, I have four, I have five. And so then, you know, he sort of walked through this in example format of actually somebody who, you know, had his mother lose her life in a pretty, pretty significantly traumatic way. And so he was using that as an example of like walking through these questions. And then the final question was, why is your soul creating this experience? Because the answers to these questions are being, for this particular person, just as an example, was like, yes, I believe in God. Yes, I believe in the human soul. Human soul and God are the same for this particular individual. Can anything happen to God that God doesn't want to have happen? Well, no, of course not. Well, then, since you see yourself and God as the same, your soul and God is the same thing, can anything happen to your soul that your soul does not want to have happen? Well, that's where it becomes a bit of a stumper, right? It's like, oh, I guess not, you know. So then why would your soul be creating this experience and, you know, the soul of somebody else, why would theirs be creating that experience and how, why would you come together to create that experience? And that's the point where um, I think he was getting at. It was like, well, you know, in his example, he was saying, well, you know, and the, the gentleman said, well, I don't know. He said, well, just pretend you knew. And then just started rattling off all of these sort of answers and said, there you have it, that's it. And the guy's like, well, but I just made that stuff up, you know? Like, of course, where did you think it came from? Was sort of his, you know, just kind of listening to those gut decisions, so to speak, or messages maybe. See, I think that's what I, the conversation I had with my friend who lost his dad and thought he was burning in hell. You know, that's what I really had to discuss with him and going, all right, let's think through your beliefs here. And do they stack up? And particularly with religion, and I, I mean no offense or agenda to people who have a strong passion for their, you know, for their, for their structured faith. Some of the rules, though, in those environments have been created with an agenda for managing the people. And it, it was well intended, but as it went on, it was less inspired and, and more credit from man and we've got to look at do our beliefs stack up and, I, and that's what i was saying earlier about the death thing it's like we could look at our beliefs and we've got to hold the uncertainty and say hang on let's just throw this out and let's just think about it so that we can not only die gracefully and in a brave way but also so that we can help those around us and also that we can you effectively take the pain away when you have a healthy meaning 
But, you know, that, those five questions, you'd referred to those another time in a previous conversation that you and I had had. And they were absolutely masterful questions. Just brilliant. I don't think I, oh, I never had that kind of clarity when I was, was talking to my friend, but I guess the intent was pure. No, I wish I'd stumbled on those questions a lot, a lot earlier because I've definitely memorized them. I know you have. Like, <laughs> I'm like you, I can tell you have. And they're so good. And, and the thing is, you've got to be able to to answer those questions. And I think that's right about the, oh, but I just made that up or the, well, I don't know. We go, well, you know you don't know. Like, so apply the time. That's that. And guess. Yeah, you know, you know rule, right? Yeah. Mm. And like, if you don't know, like, that's okay. But I think often we look externally for the answer. And I think religion does that a lot. We go, someone teach me. Someone, I don't know how to be, I don't know how to have a faith. I don't know how to know God. So teach me. And I really believe that religion is training wheels for your faith. It says, here's a structure. And until eventually you go, actually, this structure is a, is like training wheels and you can let them go and you can actually know God or faith or love or whatever you want to call it in a really beautiful way. You've got to be courageous to take those training wheels off. And someone's got to also be brave and is, is, to, is to want to let you and have those conversations with you. These are big things. And I think that there's a gift that we give the people around us and ourselves when we just spend the time and just ponder them. And, and, and we don't have to, not as a forced thing, but if it's on our mind and if it's on someone else's mind, I think it's about being able to have the conversation. And it's just like if someone's depressed, being able to talk about their depression. It's about if someone's... Uh, you know, worry they're not going to lose, you know, they're going to lose their job to not just say, don't worry, it'll be fine. Forget about it. They're wor- worried about it and they need to be able to that, allowed to have that conversation. And I know, like I said before, with, with the athletes I coach, sometimes they're just scared. You know, I've got someone I'm coaching in America at the moment and they're going into a significant event and they're just scared and they're scared. They're not going to be able to deliver it. And the whole, whole lot of things are going to get wrong, go wrong. And people are saying, no, you'll be right. Don't worry about it. And I was like, I understand that you're fearful. So let's talk about the fear. Not that we want to focus on it, but let's understand what we're scared of and let's understand what we want instead. And why Why do we even think that these things we're scared of happening? Why do we even think that's a problem? Because any, can anything really happen to the soul that the soul doesn't want to have happen? I think things can happen to the human body, the human experience that the human doesn't want to have happen, but not to the soul. And I think they're different. So it's been big, Mick. It's been big today. It has, mate. I'm, I'm a little bit worried about your pinky finger. You're holding it together all right over there? Or? It's the oddest thing because you know what happens. I'm going to just tell a little bit about myself now. But you know when you go to the public toilets and you, you've washed your hands, you don't really want to touch that filthy door handle. Well, I always open it with my little finger and I forget. And then I open it. I'm like, oh, and I re-injure it. Like I really, it's like I tear the bloody end off. It's that last knuckle. And I just do it over and over. And just when I think it's okay i just yank the thing again oh so so no mick my, my fingers so you're coming out of the men's bathrooms looking all injured and well you think it's not a big deal right but now i'm opening the door you know with a different finger and now i'm sick aren't i yeah yeah see <laughs> got some bloody illness because i used the wrong door handle the wrong finger and then i actually do you remember our friend damon who got super sick because he um he, he's dating this girl at the time and she said um Oh, don't touch the handle rest on the escalator. You know, that little black conveyor belt escalator handle. She said, don't touch that. And he's like, oh, whatever. She goes, that's too many germs. So he just got to the end of the escalator and bopped down and put his tongue out and stuck it again the escalator and let the escalator just roll over his tongue. <laughs> In the end, he was just being a smart ass and everyone was like, oh, that's gross. He got so sick, so sick. He was on his deathbed. But he says, you know what? I think I had every illness at once and I've never been sick a day since. <laughs> 
Yeah, so my fingers are all right, though. Thanks for asking. Thanks for caring. Yeah, no, I'm, I'll, I'll check back in with you during the week. Make sure you're handling them okay. So. Yeah, thanks for nothing. All right, mate, always a pleasure. <laughs> See you next week. I'm not sure what the topic is, but I'm liking these unconventional topics. For sure, mate. We are in uncharted territory. Yeah, absolutely has. Good to connect again, and thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah, and, and people, if you're listening, I don't know what sort of day you're having, but we care about you. We care. We do. We care about you. So, uh, we'd love to hear from you at any time, but we care. Have a great day and, uh, namaste, world. Namaste. See ya. See you, mate. Bye. You've been listening to Risking Failure. To join the community and access more free content, news, and updates, subscribe at riskingfailure.com.